This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and as always, I have to thank my patrons. My patrons are my personal lords and saviors, and I truly could not do this show without them. I love doing this podcast. I love bringing these conversations to you for free every single week. I believe that we need free and accessible, interesting conversations on challenging topics. That's what the world needs right now. But in order to do that, I need your help. This is also a full-time job. I do all of the editing, all of the booking, all of the writing, and all of the recording. All of that adds up, and in order to make it sustainable, I really need your help. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. There's also a link in the show notes. All content, all extra content that you get access to on my Patreon gets unlocked at just $1. You know, I want you to still be able to, uh, you know, enjoy your life and support me simultaneously. So everything gets unlocked at $1 and you get access to my patrons only podcast House of Heretics in which Timothy McPherson, former Salvation Army officer turned Christian heretic, and myself, minister of Satan in the Satanic Temple, talk about religion and philosophy and meditation and news and current events from our slightly differing, sometimes discordant perspectives, and it's always a good time. Also, patrons get to join in live on the show uh, in the chat every Wednesday mornings. So if that's interesting to you, please do become a patron, and it really helps. All right, for this week, I have to thank Arthur, Robert, Rory, Chad, and Kat. Thank you so much. I also don't talk about my Discord server enough on the show. I I really need to start shouting out to them at the beginning of each episode. I have this fantastic community on Discord. There are all kinds of interesting people there, and there is a link in the show notes. There is conversation going on every single day. Also, finally, if you are not subscribed to my weekly newsletter and blog, Go ahead and do that. It's super easy. Just enter your email address on my website, stephenbradfordlong.com, and you will get regular content every single week. I write about everything from Satanism to faith to skepticism to philosophy. This week, I wrote a 2,000-word article on my choices to not be a father, to be child-free. So I write about all kinds of interesting stuff. So if you enjoy the podcast you will most certainly enjoy my newsletter as well. All right. Well, with all of that finally out of the way, I am delighted to welcome La Carmina to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Ready to head to Japan very soon. So amazing. It's a good time. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So you're amazing. And I'm so glad that you're taking the time to talk to me. I so appreciate it. Tell us some about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'll tell you some bits and pieces that I don't usually talk about just because of your personal interests and the theme of the podcast. So I'm Canadian. I grew up in Vancouver and I went to Columbia University in New York for school. And there are some people may not know, but I majored in political theory. And I also had a lot of interest in Asian spirituality and religion. So mm. I took courses on Hinduism, Buddhism, and my thesis was in fact about nonviolent movements in India, like Gandhi and, and Tibet with the Dalai Lama. So I always had that interest and that led me to law school at Yale, something that, again, people may not know. 
So I've, I've kind of had all these influences gather together, but at the same time, I identified with alternative subcultures, especially goth, ever since I was a teen. I was always kind of the misfit, you know, outsider kid into these cultures. So after law school, it just wasn't me to go into a traditional firm environment. I wanted to do something more creative that still meshed with my interests. And that led me to spend a great deal of time in Japan. And started, I started blogging in 2007, which was very early in the days of blogging. So uh, that was really to my advantage because I was one of the OGs and it led to a lot of opportunities being a first, one of the first people on the scene. I mostly wrote about Japanese culture and fashion, especially Gothic, Harajuku, mm. um, and then Satanism because there's a very vibrant Japanese satanic scene. And that just all took off. My blog led to what I do today, which is writing books, writing articles for different publications. I did some travel TV shows and I'm quite involved with uh, other aspects too now with Satanism, with this book coming out, The Little Book of Satanism. Wow, that's a lot. You, you, uh, you do a lot. You just mentioned <laughs> that there is a thriving satanic scene in Japan. Tell me some about that. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, it is amazing. They are so welcoming over there. Uh, so I spent time investigating and participating in the satanic subculture in Japan, particularly to Tokyo and Osaka around the mid to late 2000s. And it's just incredible. You In Osaka, there's a satanic shop territory that unfortunately is now closed as the owner passed. But if you go in there, you'll just see these incredible relics, um, Baphomet uh, statues and all these rarities, books, antiques. And he does these parties, Taiki-san, he does this incredible party that involves a satanic imagery and all these ritualistic elements. Mm -hmm. His cousin has a satanic gothic and fetish bar in Kobe as well. And she'll do rituals that are tied in with shibari, the, the Japanese art of rope tying. So it's really visual and it's earnest. Um, there's a lot of differences, though, from the Western satanic scene, just in terms of influences. I mean, that's a whole topic, but it's just really interesting to see how Satanism is expressed by people all around the world, since I think Western Satanism tends to take up the conversation. Definitely. And no, I'm always so fascinated to hear about different manifestations of Satanism that aren't necessarily Western. So every so often, something fascinating like that will come across my radar, and I'm just so intrigued by it. What led to your own interest in Satanism? So, of course, you have a new book coming out this October. By the way, we should probably go ahead and say that. It is called The Little Book of Satanism. I was reading it today. It is fabulous. But before we get to that, what is your own path to Satan? What drew you into Satanism? Sure. So as I mentioned, I always was identifying as gothic, even as a teenager. I would go to goth clubs as I got older. I loved to participate in the fashion. And the gothic scene in Japan is also a whole other world. People go all out in the way that they do their makeup and the way they style themselves. It's so creative and expressive and earnest. So that was in a way a portal to Satanism. When I was living in New York and going to clubs, sometimes you'll meet people who identify as Satanists. Generally, they would be the Church of Satan, Levain Satanists back in the day. And then once I, when I was in Japan, meeting all these people who participated in the Japanese Satanic subculture, that's when I really became interested in 
like, where, what are these values? Why is Satan important to them as a metaphor? Um, if in Japan, it really is important because in a society that's quite conformist and collectivist, identifying as a rebel, the outsider that stands up against arbitrary authority really resonates with the Satanists in Japan. Hmm. And that ties in, yeah, with the Satanic Temple as it came. It's I, We started, my friends and I started seeing news articles about them around 2013, 2014. And the more we saw their evolution, the more we were also intrigued. Um, so I got to get to know the Satanic Temple, and I now do a show on TST TV with my co-host, Dr. John Scutlin, who also spent a decade in Japan and investigates the Satanic scene for his for his PhD and for his research. You keep using one specific word that I want to pause on, and that word is earnest. That the the expression of goth in Japan is very earnest and that the Satanism that you came across in Japan is very earnest. Why that word? Why is that so important to you? Well, I think because sometimes people mischaracterize goth or satanic affiliation in Japan, especially as simply some form of cosplay, as if it's just window dressing, it's all visual and there's nothing beneath it. And I think sometimes because it seems to me, having participated in both Western and Japanese subcultures, people in the West are often quite fixated on labels, on a certain identity and kind of ironically within an alternative subculture conforming to that. But it's a lot more free flowing in Japan. Hmm. Sometimes people, yeah, they don't necessarily identify with even one religion or any religion at all. A lot of people, for instance, have Shinto and Buddhism be part of their cultural background, even though they may not identify as religious or as part of either religion, but it may be part of their cultural practices just to go to a temple or to, you know, get New Year's blessings. Hmm. So I just use that word because I think sometimes people write off a lot of what they see as uh, gothic expression thinking, oh, they're not real goths. <laughs> they are not into the music or whatever it is that they try to gatekeep, uh, or at least from what I see among a lot of uh, people in, in the West when it comes to goth subculture or Satanism. And so I just wanted to emphasize that, you know, even if uh, I just think people in Japan, they really are sincere in their religious identification as Satanists. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to a guy named Levi Walbert several weeks ago on the show, and he is a Buddhist actually from a from a Japanese tradition of Buddhism. He's a he's an ordained minister in some Buddhist tradition, I would get it very wrong if I tried to say which one it was, so I won't. But he did a study of Satanism from the perspective of a Buddhist, and he wrote his his like doctoral thesis or master's thesis or or whatever it was on the philosophy and theology of Satanism, specifically the Satanic Temple. And one of the things that was most interesting about it is how he pointed out specific things within Satanism that might on their surface just look kind of banal and primarily aesthetic and just for the sake of shock or camp or what have you, but that they're actually vehicles of earnest religious transcendence. So like the like the dark imagery. Like that yeah. is that isn't just that isn't just about aesthetics, although the aesthetics are fucking amazing and you know we love it for a reason. But it isn't it isn't just that. It is also, you know, it, it holds really deep meaning for us, and it is a form of religious transcendence. It's a way for us to connect with these 
values that we hold as Satanists. And and that's one of the things that I so appreciated about that conversation is how he was able to kind of point out these specific things in Satanism that most, I think most people on the outside would look at and be like, oh, they're just being edgy or, oh, they're just being ironic or mm-hmm. what have you. And no, in fact, they're actually very sincere. It, they're very sincere expressions of, of deeply held convictions and attitudes. And that's what I'm hearing you say as well, that, that a lot of stuff that from the outside might look arbitrary people might describe it as cringe or or reactionary or what have you it is actually really rich with meaning for us yeah i think you nailed it i'd be fascinated to read that and learn more yeah about his work because i also write a lot about buddhism i do see a lot of you know flow in between satanism and buddhist values especially if you're talking about what people call secular buddhism Mm. so you have this fantastic book. It's called The Little Book of Satanism, and it is indeed very little. It's like the the perfect introduction to Satanism. Like <laughs> someone someone could read it in the afternoon. And when your publicist reached out to me and was like, "Hey, you know, we're La Carmina is publishing this book and, you know, it'll be for a popular audience. And I was just like over the fucking moon because (laughs) Satanism absolutely needs something like this, something accessible, something simple that isn't, you know, that is a bit updated from the Satanic Bible and, and will lay out the history and philosophy and so on. So it's fantastic. What was your goal in writing this book? Like, what did you want to accomplish? Yeah, so I think you really hit the nail on the head in terms of it's a little book. And that was part of the greatest challenge to keep it to about, I think it was 20,000 words, mm-hmm. which is difficult when there's so much to distill. There's so much more that could be said about every single topic in there. But as you mentioned, it isn't a book for Satanists. It's really for the general audience as if they were interested in learning more about Taoism or Jainism. Um, I think I hope the book helps people have a better sense of the development of the history and culture of Satanism and dispel misunderstandings that are ongoing with the Satanic panic. There's so much judgment and fear mongering and conspiracy theories still about Satanists. And I think one of the best ways to combat that is through information, through helping people understand where Satanism really does come from. And hopefully if they take an open mind and give it a read, they can get a better understanding of the roots of values that Satanists tend to share and maybe come to a change their minds. And instead of having a negative knee-jerk reaction to the word Satanist, maybe it helps them to take a different perspective. Mm, Yeah. What are the specific uh, misconceptions that you find yourself pushing against? Mm. Well, that is addressed a bit in the foreword, which is by Lucian Greaves. And that's the one part that I didn't read, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I I just had Lucian on last week. And so I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, this fucking guy again. (laughs) No, Lucian is great. He's he's wonderful. I love Lucian. And uh, he's a brilliant writer, too. Like more people need to read his stuff. He's he's just such a fantastic writer. Yeah, I'm really happy with how the foreword came out. And I think it really encapsulated it well, because in popular media, you get a lot of uh, portrayals of Satanists as these evil devil worshippers that are hexing the public. And so that's not really the main issue. And that he addresses that in the foreword. I don't think the average person thinks that Satanists are 
literally <laughs> lurking in the shadows, ready to poison you and your children and sacrifice babies or whatever all those stereotypes are. And sure, there's some people out there that really do believe that. But perhaps the more pervasive problem is when you just pick up these cues, this negative bias towards Satanists, or even just not taking them seriously as people a part of a religion. And you see these biases come out with, for instance, in the Satanic Temple's actions, when they try to do the, an invocation, right, in a before a council meeting, mm -hmm. any mm -hmm. religion should be allowed to do so, but they're always denied. So little things like that, little uh, denials of little signs that just they're not taken seriously as religion, I think is, are more pervasive. And once we go through the history, which I cover in the book, you really see where it comes from, such as the link between Satanists and Freemasons. Like there's this big Freemason conspiracy. And one part of my book talks about how that really originated with the taxil hoax back in France uh, centuries ago, mm. uh, a hoax that went out of hand. I, I guess you know about this. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, and I'm curious if you get this misconception all the time, too. I very rarely, like you said, there are very few people, I think, who really believe like the crazy 80s and 90s satanic panic stuff of, you know, there's this enormous cabal. I mean, there's unfortunately that has not died. QAnon is the modern manifestation of the satanic panic. But I think in my personal interactions, the misconception that I push up against all the time is you're not a real religion or you're mm. or you're a troll or you're doing this ironically in some way. And then when I try to push back and say, well, no, you know, this is this is a very authentic religious experience for me. You know, I've written about my conversion to Satanism from Christianity. This I I'm I'm very serious about it. There's nothing ironic about it. And then they always get like this, you know, if they're the like online atheist type, they always get this knowing look in their eyes and they're like, yeah, but that's what you're supposed to say because it's a troll. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, fuck you. But do you ever get that too? Like this, this is not sincere. This is, this is just a troll. This is a poison pill. Oh, I think everyone in, in satanic circles gets that. And you also get that from other people that are Satanists, but they identify as hard-carrying members of maybe the Church of Satan, and then they True. come after you by saying, you're not a Satanist. We are. Uh, you see a lot of that on Twitter. Yep. But I would say, you know, I should also reiterate that this book, I'm, it's not a personal journey. It's not a personal book. It's, I kind of think it is more effective by taking a nonfiction, historical, cultural, almost a detached approach. Um, I'm not encouraging or pushing satanic values at all in the book. It's as if I'm covering any religion out there. I'm just trying to fairly present, hey, this is where it came from. These are um, symbols and practices that Satanists tend to, like, how they tend to express their religious identification and, and find meaning as a Satanist. Um, mm. Keeping it, again, more general. I, I said in the introduction, I'm not trying to define a one to Satanism. I acknowledge there are a minority of theistic Satanists um, some people, they identify with the Church of Satan. There's a whole section about Anton LaVey and his importance in modern Satanism. There's a section about the Satanic Temple. And of course, there are people that don't identify with either. They're individual. They have their maybe their independent groups or they're just individually practicing Satanists. So this is kind of acknowledging all of the above. And again, not even pressing or uh, advocating for anyone to be a Satanist or even agree with Satanism. 
it's more, hey, let's take a look at where it comes from and you can come to your own conclusions. And I think that is better rather than someone just going by what they see in the media or just not thinking too critically about it because I sometimes think we just get these influences from growing up, from pop culture, from TV, from what people say about other people and that soaks in whether we acknowledge it or not. Yeah, so it's it's almost like you're just examining, you know, taking a neutral posture and just examining like, well, by and large, this is what Satanism has been through the years, through the centuries. And, and you know, here it is in 20,000 words and take it or leave it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I think that's a really, really important approach. Um, so you mentioned the Taxel hoax. So just to give people an idea of the some of the fascinating historical moments that you cover in the book, tell people what happened during the Taxel hoax, because so many people don't know that this insane thing happened. Right. So around the 1890s, there was a man who took on the name of Leo Taxil, if we want to be French about it. And he had a beef against the Catholic Church. And it's kind of funny in the way he was being a troll he wanted to troll the catholic church so he started publishing books as a catfisher would today under a different name different face different identity and the books that he published they pushed the idea of paladism a secretive satanic cabal operating within freemasonry say say the name of the uh, group again sure paladism or paladism the yes. paladism or paladists. Yes, got it. Yeah. And already the Catholics were, well, they they had a side eye towards any other denomination or any other religion, but particularly the Freemasons because of their kind of, you know, bizarre seeming practices and rituals and their lodges and whatnot. So it was easy enough to drum up some uh, fears among the general public, particularly Catholics, that, oh, no, there's this world uh, political conspiracy of Satanists plotting to do horrible things within Freemasonry. And so he published different books that spread this idea from different perspectives, creating all these cast of characters, really just like a catfisher in modern day. And it succeeded. People bought his books. They really ate up his ideas. Uh, he had a big poster that had a Baphomet on it. So that again, kind of linked, ooh, anti-Freemasonry to Baphomet, to Satanism. And then... This went on for about 10 years until one day he just couldn't hold the threads together. He had a big presentation where he announced, guess what, everyone? I've been pulling your leg the whole time. The whole thing was a hoax. And he got chased off the stage, but he succeeded in making the Catholic Church look a bit ridiculous and making some money out of it. So that's the story. <laughs> and it's it's insane how far it went and the number of incredibly powerful people who bought it. <laughs> like it is absolutely <laughs> nuts. And, you know, I think that it it exemplifies this really challenging part of Satanism. So I, I think Satanism is what would be called an invented religion, which is where it's like, OK, we know we're making this up. And yet that doesn't make it any less earnest for us. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people who are maybe coming from more of a religious perspective really struggle with that. And one of the challenging things, I think, about Satanism is how it has these really influential moments like the Taxel hoax, where it was basically an enormous hoax that ended up having huge cultural influence. 
and yes. and really shaped the discourse around Satanism. And we are now modern Satanists, you know, kind of inheriting the legacy of the Taxel hoax. And also talk about the um the not I was going to say the Shriners, and I'm like, no, wait, that's the wrong one. The Shriners are the are the modern day ones <laughs> with the silly hats. The um the ones who who allegedly worshipped Baphomet. Oh, the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar, right? So yeah, the Knights Templar are also a fascinating piece of satanic history. Tell our audience about that. What what went on there? Yeah, sure. I think throughout so. One part of my book is historical Satanism, and it goes through what I call the devil's footprint from mm -hmm. medieval times, like the Knights Templar incident that I'll talk about, through the witch hunts to you know the height of exorcisms and to incidents like the affair for poisons and the taxel hoax. And I think in writing this for myself, I really got to see how it's the same story over and over with taxel hoax break. Uh, uh, these misunderstandings get out of hand and create this negative these negative stories, these narratives about Satanists. But you see that also with the witch hunts towards women that were outsiders. And you see that with the satanic panic towards these metalhead types that were deemed devil worshippers and even some of them were jailed and for with without any recourse. I, I think that that's worth pausing on because there is so so you mentioned several key historical moments. One was the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. There was the Taxel hoax. There was the affair of the poisons, which maybe we can get to later. And then there is the uh, the uh, God damn it. I can't I cannot retain their name. The um, the ones who worshipped who allegedly worshipped Baphomet. Knights oh, Templar. Knight <laughs> yes. Templar. <Yeah. laughs> so so uh, the uh, scholar of Satanism, Ruben Van Lack, in his book, Children of Lucifer, talks about mm -hmm. the process of identification, attribution versus identification. So it's almost like in all of these cases that you just described, they are situations where where Satanism is assigned, where the identity of being a devil or a Satan is assigned to some outsider. So yes. through kind of Satanic prehistory, Satanism is a weapon and it is assigned to outsiders as a way of controlling them, killing them, denigrating them, etc. And this was done towards Jews. This was done yep. towards you know, various religious sects. Pagans, yeah, women. Exactly. You know, witchy women, yeah. Yeah, all of the above. And then this really bizarre thing happens in kind of the 19th and 20th centuries where that starts to shift to identification, where there's this, this transfer from attribution to identification, where people start to take on the label of Satanist as a form of empowerment. And so mm -hmm. when people ask, well, where did Satanism come from? I say, well, it was invented by the Catholic Church. It was mm -hmm. <laughs> like technically, and Joseph Laycock, who's a, a religious scholar, and he wrote the book Speak of the Devil, uh, which is about TST, he he said at one point, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm a Catholic. It's like checking in on my kids. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, working with TST, it's like checking in on how my kids are doing. <laughs> but yeah, there's this, there's this, there's this process of going from, I, from 
attribution to identification from the term being an, an insult, a, a weapon to people being like, okay, these are actually, this name actually represents affirmative values that I support, <laughs> therefore I am now a Satanist. Yeah, and I know a lot of the scholarly books, like the one you mentioned, Children mm-hmm. of Lucifer, which I cite, it's a fantastic book, yep. but they're not easily accessible and they're very thick and dense and there's a lot in there. So I'm hoping that my book still accurately, but more succinctly and in a more um, conversational manner, is able to convey exactly the ideas that you presented. And I think people can see that going through the history, it it goes through the romantic Satanists, right? Suddenly treating Satan as this metaphor of the hero, the anti-hero. And it talks about satanic precursors. Uh, Crowley has Mm -hmm. a great quote about how the devil is the god of anyone that one personally dislikes, which kind of sums it all up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. And all right, so we were going to talk about the uh, Knights Templar. Oh, before we do that, I I (laughs) just want to say I totally agree with you. That's one of the things that I was thinking, actually, as I was reading your book, like, oh, this, thank God, thank Satan. This is so much more (laughs) accessible than, you know, the gargantuan tomes about Satanism, like Children of Lucifer, which are great books, but it literally took mm-hmm. me like three months to get through that fucking book. <laughs> so, yeah, you you accomplished that by making it very, very accessible. So the, the symbol of the Baphomet... Um, mm-hmm. allegedly and so people will know the symbol of the Baphomet it is the goat head or the sabbatic goat with one hand pointing up one hand pointing down uh, angel wings etc cetera, etc cetera, right that allegedly is traced all the way back to the Knights Templar talk some about that part of satanic prehistory yeah absolutely so that happened during the Middle Ages during the times of the Crusades it's just so fascinating to see how it all links together because Baphomet is so present and important in modern Satanism. But really, it led it has its roots to the Crusades. The Knights Templar were a special order that were set to defend the Holy Lands from the Muslims, and they were became very powerful and rich and successful in doing that. But then, as time passed, the Crusades started to dwindle and. Uh, the Muslims were gaining ground and the Christians were falling back. But at the same time, the Knights Templar regained, they still were very powerful. So money talks, right? Money and power talks. And that's why the French king, Philip the Fair of all names, thought, okay, it's time to crack down. I want to take the Knights Templar's land, their money, and get get power back into my hands. And that's why they... They went out against the Knights Templar and accused them of all these horrific crimes like sodomy and cavorting with Lucifer in the shape of a black cat. And all things, <laughs> all things that I am guilty of. I have lots of gay sex. I definitely cavort with Satan, and I have a black cat. So I am, oh, no. I am guilty on every <laughs> single count. <laughs> Yeah, so maybe true in your case, but in their case, <laughs> no corroborating evidence whatsoever of these practices. It was just to subdue a group. It was political, right? It's to put down a group that suddenly they they don't like. <laughs> they Like Crowley said, the devil is the god of anyone one personally dislikes. Mm. And that's a really powerful way to say these people need to be put to death. They, they were brought to trial, uh, false trials, of course. And within that, there's testimony of the Knights Templar worshipping an icon named 
Mahomet, something like that. I think it was a mispronunciation. Uh, well, they said Baphomet, but it was a mispronunciation, perhaps, of Mahomet, which is French for Mohammed. Mm. So again, of, of course, the whole anti-Satanist idea, you know, deeming anyone in that other group to be uh, of the devil's party, Muslims would be included in that. And so for the Knights Templar to be involved in worshipping some sort of Muslim idol, Mahomet, Mohammed, Baphomet, a two or three headed goat head figure, and that became associated with their terrible satanic crimes. Um, but then, as you mentioned, people kind of took back that symbology today. Satanists today have Baphomet as a, a symbol of the union of opposites, uh, something to strive for, right? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And there's also a similar thread in the affair of the poisons. And we won't, we don't have to rehash like all of these very complex historical moments, but briefly the affair of the poisons was just this horrific affair where i forget it was in the 1700s i think yeah between 1677 so 17th century louis 14 got it got it basically it was my understanding is that it's when the catholic church and and the kind of church slash state union between between you know the the king and the catholic church or what have you, started to really crack down on the occult underground in Paris. And it was just mm -hmm. kind of a network of, of midwives and potion sellers and whatnot, folk magic, right? Mm -hmm. And they horrifically tortured a lot of these people and under conditions of just unimaginable torture, they extracted confessions of the black mass. Yes. which was this inverted blasphemous, you know, inverted blasphemous version of the Catholic Mass. And, you know, it's just a horrific story. And so why then is it important to Satanists to practice the Black Mass? Well, the reason is because the Black Mass is literally a legacy of theocratic torture and abuse. It is a remnant. It is an artifact. It was invented by the theocrats. And, you know, who, who knows? Maybe there was some measure of Satanic underground activity. We don't know. We will never know. But I think it's more likely that the Catholic Church forced these confessions and created this fantasy. And so the Black Mass is literally this symbol of horrific theocratic oppression. And embracing the Black Mass can become like this cathartic statement of independence and remembrance of all of those who have been tortured and abused by theocratic power. And there's there's the similar theme with the Knights Templar, where they were tortured and, you know, the confessions of the Baphomet were extracted, uh, you know, of worshiping the three-headed Baphomet. And, and so a lot of these core symbols and rituals within Satanism. Sorry, I'm I'm going on and on and on. This is all yeah, stuff no, that I'm this is all stuff that I'm that I absolutely love. But a lot of these core symbols are actually artifacts of torture from the Catholic world. And by reclaiming those things, it's almost like that in and of itself is an act of defiance <laughs> and, and self-actualization. Yeah. And, you know, if you mentioned the affair of the poisons, which I cover, if you look at it from one perspective, you mentioned this underworld of sort of love potion sellers, people who were kind of soothsayers in the occult underworld. 
they tend to be women and yep. they were midwives and people giving abortions which were illegal and now are illegal still but back then you know these women did them secretly and also some of these people were lgbtq and so that's why they were kind of relegated to this world where they could be themselves and find some sort of you know like women who were made pregnant against their will they would come to them to get help and so it's interesting again these threads throughout history it's people on the margins that are mostly accused of being Satanists and put through all this torture because they don't jive with the with what uh, authority wants, right? With theocratic mm -hmm. values. And so they're put to death because of it. And we're still fighting that today. Yeah. And I mean, all of this just goes back to like this this isn't mere edgelord stuff. It's so, you know, I love my edgelords. They're they're fantastic. You know, I'm not I'm not deriding the edgelords <laughs> at all, but it isn't merely that. There's there's real depth and historical meaning in here and in a lot of these symbols. And, you know, my hope is that when people read your book, they'll be able to at least see the historical underpinnings for why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. Talk some about your own satanic practice. You might, I don't, I, I might have not gotten this far enough in the book. You, you, you might not cover this, but would you be comfortable just talking about what does your own personal Satanism look like? Yes. So I don't cover any of this in the book because I keep it objective. I keep it impersonal. Mm. And yeah, I, I don't really speak too much about it usually, too. I mean, it's funny because I grew up in a different context. I, my parents are from Hong Kong, and so they are staunch atheists. So I grew up with a very staunch atheist background, quite different from a lot of people that are drawn to Satanism that come from often quite conservative, strict Christian backgrounds. So, yeah, I grew up in an environment where religion is not like it was ridiculed, but no one really saw the point of it. <laughs> so so let's let's pause on that. So why i i mean i have my own reasons for for why but why are you drawn to a religion because i you know so often i come across and you know various atheists like the atheists that you just described where it's like you know they're maybe they aren't necessarily against religion they just don't see the point um mm -hmm. like it's almost like walking backwards like okay well why would you want to go backwards into religious sectarianism or whatever so so what draws you to religion? Why does religion have meaning for you? Yeah, and this really tied into even my university days, taking classes in a lot of the more East Asian spirituality. I think because a lot of the new atheists talk about this too. Even if you're an atheist, you can still seek ways of to live a better life, to consider questions of what is well-being. Um, what's the best way to exist in this world, how you want to be a part of the world. And sometimes these questions are, are more spiritual ones if you want to define them in that way. Mm. And so a lot of people, they might turn to mindfulness or meditation, things that are connected to Buddhism, but without any element of supernatural or belief systems. They don't even have to identify as Buddhist to find value and to actually find in their daily lives, as I do, a lot of benefit in learning about these techniques and learning about the Buddhist worldview and in, in meditation. And so same goes with Satanism. I think I'm kind of, I follow the Japanese <laughs> or more Asian version of things where it's a lot more free flowing. I don't identify, I don't attach myself to particular labels, mm. but I'm very interested. And I think there's a lot 
to be found in terms of personal meaning, community, uh, ways of thinking about the world in Satanism as there is in Buddhism and some other religions. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, that that kind of free flowing approach, it's so refreshing. And honestly, you know, in my journeys in Satanism and in the Satanic Temple in particular, I, I just keep coming across people who, for lack of a better term, have dual religious identities. You know, and so mm. I've I've come across people who are Quakers and consider themselves still very Quaker. Quaker is is an important part of their religious life. And they're also fully dedicated Satanists. And that for them is not a a conflict for them. I have a lot of friends who are Jewish and who are who, who still observe all the festivals. They go to synagogue. They do all of the things and they are very dedicated Satanists. And so just. I, I think that Satanism actually kind of lends itself to kind of a, a, a syncretistic approach to, yes. to religion. You know, it's like you can have so many dual identities, multiple identities. You can flow between them, you know, and I think that's so refreshing. Yeah, I think especially with Satanism and the emphasis on rebellion, questioning and an individualistic practice. So there's a lot of room for your own take on things, if you know what I mean. And yeah, the syncretism really lends itself well. Uh, you see that with with Buddhism, with Satanism, and like you, I, I know a lot of people that really are identified with all sorts of religions and practices without holding on too tightly. That's quite a nice Buddhist way to approach it, right? Don't grasp too tightly to any labels, to anything at all. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I love is getting popularized is the is talking about my Satanism, or or personal satanisms it's like i can't i can't say what satanism is i can only say what my satanism is i have my own satan i have my i have my own vision of who satan is and what that symbol means for me there's obviously going to be a lot of overlap with other satanists and in tst you know we all have the shared guiding values of the satanic tenets but at the end of the day we're we're all operating off of this individual vision of who Satan is for each one of us. And then we build that and then we have a, a you know a different metaphysics for each one of us. And so, you know, my my friend Penamu, he's really mm. big he's really big into transhumanism, you know, and so for him, Satanism is very transhumanism is a very profound expression of his Satanism, right? And for others it's going to be veganism. For others it's going to be mindfulness meditation. You know, and and I what I find so refreshing, honestly, about that is that that's true of all religions. Every every religion, every practitioner of every religion is is ultimately following some individual, personally curated version of of who they think that God is, of who they think Jesus yeah. is. Right? You know, at the end of the day, everyone is doing that. We're just honest about it, <laughs> right? and we don't impose it on others. <laughs> exactly. We we don't yeah. and we and we don't have to live with that cognitive dissonance of have of trying to like like force other people into our vision of what satan is <laughs> or, <laughs> or or you know what have you. Yeah, or force oneself to be living. Oh, I'm not living a sin-free enough life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, at the beginning of the show you mentioned some similarities that you see between Buddhism and Satanism. I find that topic fascinating. And I know that you don't cover this in your book, or maybe maybe you do later, but what are some of those similarities that you see between Satanism and Buddhism? Mm. 
Well, first, I should say I, I'm speaking more about uh, what they call secular Buddhism. So, mm-hmm. if yeah, without any spiritual, any supernatural or requirements of beliefs in anything that you can't that can't be confirmed through science. So, a lot of the noble truths—they're just truths about the world, right? Mm-hmm. That it's suffering and ways to there are ways to not suffer so much in daily life, especially just by not clinging and accepting uh you know equanimity in the moment so I-, I just love the approach that you don't have to be beholden to what's imposed on you you can reframe the world and your- the narrative you don't have to live the story that people tell you you have to live and i see that similarity with satanism perhaps even more so because there's still this edgelord as you put it connotation there it's still a big deal to identify as a satanist you get a lot of negative feedback and, you know, even downsides. I heard recently of some employers being upset at someone identifying as a Satanist. Mm. So it really takes a lot to stand up against that and say, I'm not going to accept what's imposed upon me. I'm going to think critically. I'm going to make decisions based on compassion. Um, that's a big thing in both, right, in Buddhism and and in at least the Satanism of the Satanic Temple. There's definitely a lot of similarity between the seven tenets and the four noble truths. Like I see a lot of the, the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple and the four noble truths, and they they both kind of draw one towards accepting reality as it is, <laughs> in a way. You know, <laughs> for example, the, the fifth tenet is uh you know one should um oh god damn it this is me failing satanic confirmation class it was so i I was in a conversation with a christian seminarian a while ago and and he was like so what are the tenets and i tried to tell him and i could not remember and he was like yeah man you're failing (laughs) satanic confirmation class right now (laughs) um uh you know, belief should conform to our best scientific understanding of the world. One should never mm-hmm. distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. You know, there's something, I think that there is something very similar to mindfulness about that. You know, a lot of adhering to that tenet requires being comfortable with a lot of mystery, a lot of disconfirming evidence, a lot of stuff that we'd probably not like to be true. You know, mm-hmm. life at, at the atomic level is just not very gratifying and (laughs) and at the cosmic level it's absolutely huge and terrifying and overwhelming and it takes a certain measure of mindfulness to just accept that and yes and critical thinking yes and objectivity yeah putting aside emotional bias and it's hard like you said and it's not fun it's a lot more fun to play into this fantasy or this label that you feel oh you know this is me out in the world or this is how it should be and everything should conform to that when that's not the case. Mm, absolutely. So another thread that you that you hit on in the book is feminism and the role that that Satan plays in women's empowerment. And that also includes, you know, of course, trans women and <laughs> uh, so all women. But let's talk specifically about feminism and maybe the role of Lilith. So do you find personal empowerment in the image of Satan and the symbol of Satan as a woman. And what is that like? I think because my background is so atheist and because I didn't grow up in 
a very religious environment. I'm from Vancouver, Canada. So being outside of the US, you get you don't have as much theocracy in, in government and just in your day to day life. Hmm. So when I talk to my friends who grew up um, in a very strict Christian background, they seem to have a lot more resonance with symbols like Satan and Lilith or even the inverted cross, just because that was the narrative imposed on them from such a young age. And these symbols were told to have spiritual, I mean, essential meaning, right? The most important meaning that one could have. And that's not something I grew up with. So I would say that while I find these symbols and figures inspirational and powerful, I don't think I resonate with them as much as someone who grew up, you know, believing in a literal God and and whatnot, and then later questioning that, and then uh, perhaps finding a different relationship to the idea of the devil because of that rejection. Hmm. Yeah, that no, that makes complete sense. And you know, it's so interesting how I, I encounter a lot of Satanists or the satanic adjacent, you know, people who who might not necessarily identify themselves as satanists but, you know, are in one room over, <laughs> like in the hallway, yeah. in the hallway outside of satanism or what or what have you, you know, allies of of satanism or satanic adjacent. And a lot of people are do not come from a religious background and talk about and, and and when you when when I talk to them about this they don't relate to symbols like for example the inverted cross because to them there's no there's no personal significance in inverting it there's no mm. personal significance in inverting that religious symbol because that religious symbol was never used to abuse them. And so they're drawn to other parts of Satanism, maybe like Lucifer, the morning star, who is a symbol of, you know, beauty and enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they're drawn more to that or they're drawn more towards kind of affirmative values that are not necessarily in there can be affirmative values that are in opposition to religion of course absolutely but i think a lot of them are drawn to affirmative values that aren't necessarily in opposition to religion at all they 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 are drawn to religion to to satanism as basically like its own thing and and didn't enter it from you know the the door of christianity or judaism or what have you and I find yeah. I find that so interesting. Yeah, I was actually you just made me remember that I once watched the Hail Satan documentary about the Satanic Temple with some high school friends that do not identify as goth. They're really not a very alternative subculture people by any definition. Hmm. And they thought that the documentary was fantastic. They really liked the Satanic Temple's works, the tenets. But I remember they said to me, well, in the scenes where you see a congregation, everyone kind of is goth, pierced, has body modifications, or really looks alternative, maybe wears uh, pentagrams. And they said, well, I really like what they're doing, but I just don't feel that's me. And I don't feel I would really belong in that. But for me, I've been wearing gothic fashion. I've been involved in gothic clubs, music, subculture for so long. Um, so in that sense, the aesthetics, they do appeal to me. They very much feel like, uh, you can. I mean, I always post pictures of my outfits on Instagram and on my La Carmina blog. And I've long been dressing up in very dark ways, incorporating satanic symbols. So in that sense, it has personal meaning to me and resonance in a way that perhaps a more adjacent person outside the room might not. 
Mm. Yeah. Also, you, your Instagram, you look just absolutely fucking amazing. Like your makeup <laughs> is incredible. The clothing is amazing. And I really need to like ask you off off air like i need you to to consult for like makeup and fashion you should start like an academy it could be like <laughs> la carmina's academy for drab satanic gays because i'm a very drab satan- <laughs> i'm a very dour satanic gay i cannot dress myself i look like a homeless person and um so but yeah no you're the artistry that you display with clothing and with makeup is just absolutely fucking amazing yeah, that's just an outlet I've always loved. I feel like the more you talk about your roots, I think it's something that's always been there. So even mm. I, I loved Halloween as a kid. I loved being able to wear these flamboyant outfits and do crazy face paint and makeup. And that just continued in through as I was growing up, right? I was more comfortable with alter- alternative, brightly colored hairstyles and um, makeup and outfits that might turn ahead. But that's just who I am. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I am what what I like to call a normie Satanist. I, I go stealth, you know, no one would look at me and be like, oh, he's a Satanist. And then you get <laughs> to know me and it's like, oh, yeah, no, he's he's a covert Satanist. He's a he, he's a minister of Satan in the Satanic temple. But you look at him and he's just wearing like a cat T-shirt and jeans. <laughs> um, and honestly, I, you know, I think that that's one of the things that I love about TST is it can draw people, all different types of people with all different sorts of aesthetics because it's a religion. Religions will draw many different types of people, and that's great. And so there will be mm-hmm. people, you know, I, uh, a while ago I interviewed uh, James Payne, Minister James Payne, who's the head of the uh, Uniformed Coalition in TST, which is the mm-hmm. campaign for uh, the military, police officers, and nurses. And he is a complete normie. He is, <laughs> you would never look at him or listen to him talk and be like, yep, there's the Satanist. And then I love that, you know, right next to James Payne could be, you know, some, you know, super goth, badass dominatrix. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I just think that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. And I, you know, I think often people who are more active on social media or post photos and whatnot, they, the focus tends to be on them. But I always like to remind everyone that social media is not real life turning uh, talking about narratives and what's real, right? I think sometimes the same people, the same supporters and detractors show up again and again, especially on Twitter. Yep. But in fact, there are thousands upon thousands of people out there that support, uh, who have their own Satanism, or in this case, support the Satanic Temple that you've never heard of. I mean, people don't know any of the Satanists that I know in Japan, right? Just because of the language barrier and because they're in a different country and they've never met them, Mm. but they're there doing their thing. And yeah, I think for me, having gone to law school, there's a lot of people that were interested in the Satanic Temple because of their legal campaigns and they came to it because of that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's super interesting. Well, we're at the hour, but uh, is there anything else that you wanted to to mention? Anything else that you wanted us to talk about before we wrap? Up. I think we covered so much. I'm just excited to continue to do more in the world of Satanism. There's the book coming out. I do the show on TST TV called Satanic Show and Tell. We invite guests, uh, notable guests, to show their morbid and uh, bizarre possessions that are related to the devil. So that's <laughs> been a lot of fun. And that's amazing. Yeah, I'm always writing. Yeah, I'm always writing about Satanism and sharing as much as I can, especially from around the world. And I will be doing that when I'm in Japan very soon. I'll be reporting about all the 
hellish going ons in the land, <laughs> yeah, in, in Japan. That sounds amazing. And uh, for people who want to find that, do you have like a website that where they can access all of this amazing information? Yes. So people can Google La Carmina and you'll find everything. But I've been running my site since 2007. It's lacarmina.com. There's a treasure trove of posts from, oh my gosh, you should see the fashion we, my friends and I wore in Japan back in 2007, 2008. It's like a time capsule. It's really fun to see. <laughs> I will. <laughs> evolution I will, of things. After this, I will go and look that up. I'll go deep into your archives. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a terrible point and shoot cameras, but you capture things that you don't know become important later. Mm. I was just talking about my friends and the things we did and parties we went to, and we didn't know we were capturing you know, the, the evolution of Japanese Satanism and figures that are now gone. Huh. Yeah. That that's so fascinating. Yeah. So everyone can go find that at La Carmina. And when does your book drop? Ah, uh, the little book of Satanism comes out. October 25th, so right before Halloween. But people can pre-order it now. It's in paperback and digital. And you can find info on my site, lacarmina.com, or just Google The Little Book of Satanism. Beautiful. Yeah, and everyone really should go buy it and buy multiple copies so you can give it to your friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like if anyone asks, no longer do you have to rely on URLs. No longer do you have to rely on random blog posts to uh you know send your friends when they ask you questions about satanism now you can just hand them the little book of satanism all right well you're you are always welcome back this has been a fantastic conversation i'd love to do this again me too thank you so much absolutely all right well that is it for this show the theme song is called wild by 117 you can find it on itunes spotify no itunes doesn't exist anymore you can find it on apple music spotify or wherever you listen to music the show is written produced and edited by me and it is supported by my patrons at patreon.com forward slash stephen bradford long as always hail satan and thanks for listening <laughs>